Hola, hello, bienvenido, and welcome. My name is Annette Perel. I'm a proud Afro-Latina of Panamanian descent and a doula for over 17 years and mom of a son. I created this podcast to help connect people to other Black, Latino, and Indigenous people in the birth field. I also want my listeners to hear birth stories directly from the parents who experience them. Welcome to the Clear Birth Podcast. Birth in, in general. In general. Like, you just don't know what you're going to get, like, yeah. right? So now you add in the layer of COVID on top of it, and you just really had to learn to roll with whatever information you had at the time. On today's episode, we're going to be speaking with Tiffany and Amber. It was important for me to have Amber, who gave birth in April, and Tiffany, who gave birth in May, share their vastly different birth experiences during a global pandemic. The face of birth is changing constantly during COVID, and with an expected second wave, I imagine it will change again. I want families to know that birth support, especially virtual, is essential now more than ever. I hope you get a lot of takeaways from these interviews. Good morning, Tiffany. Thank Good you morning. for joining the Clear Birth Podcast. <laughs> Thanks so for having to have me. You. Of like course, <laughs> of course. Um, so I just wanted to start this episode with talking about how it was to birth during COVID, but just your process on hiring a doula. Like, What were your thoughts behind it mm-hmm. and how did that process work for you? So... Where should I start? So I think that for us hiring a doula, this just kind of came about um, as, as we were researching all things around birth. And please forgive my crying baby in the background, but I yes, he's not kind being neglected. He's, <laughs> he's on he's his way great. out the door yeah. with his he, dad. Yes. Some, someone's also on a nap strike. And so someone's a little overtired. Yeah. Yeah. The joys of parenthood. So moving, moving along. (laughs) So just in the whole course of, you know, after, um, you know, as we were trying to, you know, one, understand being pregnant and all that kind of good stuff, uh, we began to transition to how is birth going to go? And I think for me, even before I had kids, I always understood that, there is a lot of racism in the medical community mm-hmm. and I wanted that extra support for myself and my husband going into the delivery room, knowing that this is our first child. We probably don't even know, we don't even know about the birth experience mm-hmm. and we wanted that additional support, someone who was going to guide us through um, even though, you know, I have a, I'll say I have a great relationship with my, with my OBGYN um, and I've been with her for a long time, but I also recognize that that's not necessarily the doctor's job um, in the birthing experience. So the way that I rationalized this and how we got into hiring a doula was that my doctor's role was to make sure that my, you know, that my child and and that I come out of this healthy and alive, quite frankly, if we're just being, you know, being honest as a a black woman um, in in New York City and in this country is that, you know, I want to come out alive, right? I don't know. I want to be healthy on the other side of that. And I want uh, to bring my baby home from the hospital and I want my child to be healthy. And that is the focus of the doctor and the medical team. And they're not really there for, emotional support or understanding 
all of what I might be bringing with me into the birth experience, I guess is the best way to put it. All of any, all of my concerns. And it's not that they shouldn't care about those, but that's not necessarily their job first and foremost. Their job is to, well, I ultimately ended up having a C-section. So making sure that that process goes smoothly. Um, so, you know, looking for that additional sort of support and, you know, I think of it, I thought, it, we thought of you as sort of our coach. Yeah. Um, that's how we got, you know, how we got into that process. And, you know, I think I came into it in a very, you know, business-like manner because I'm so used to working with different vendors and contractors and freelancers. So I was like, okay, we're going to do a bunch of research and we're going to interview three people. And then we're going to pick the person that we think is the best fit for us. And that's, that's pretty much what we did, you know, Mm -hmm. researching, you know, um, you know, what does a doula cost? Um, and for, you know, and, and what does that, you know, what does that get you? What's sort of the industry standard for the type of care that you need for, you know, um, doula support before, during, and after birth, trying to figure out, all, all of those pieces, right? Because you, you think about, you know, what do I need before I get into the hospital? What do I need during the birth? And then what kind of support do I need after? Um, and how much, you know, how much more support, you know, when we, when we started looking for a doula, everything was normal, it was pre-COVID. And yes. so you think that you're going to have additional support when you get home and you'll have family around and you'll have friends drop by and all that kind of good stuff. And then that quickly went out the window the first week or second week of March. And it didn't turn into just a very, very different situation for us. So I think, you know, um, I'm not sure what other people's processes are for selecting Mm -hmm. doulas, but I think ours was pretty, I don't know, just sort of pragmatic. And we just said, you know, let's, let's kind of like look at a list of criteria of, you know, who is available, who, well, actually first I was like, oh, First, who's a doula that looks like me and understands my way into the world, right? Mm-hmm. So that was, I think, the most the most important thing. And then, you know, realizing, I think that all of, not all of the services, but generally it was like, okay, we're going to have this many visits with this person before, and this person's going to be with us in the hospital. And then this person is going to come for a follow-up visit or two and kind of send us out on our way as, as new parents, um, you know, that was, okay, that's, that's kind of the, the standard package. And so, you know, after digging down to that, you're really, to me, because this is such an intimate experience, you're really looking for who, who do I connect with emotionally? Who do I feel comfortable with having in the delivery room and going through this very intense process with you um, and your partner? And so that's really what, what it, what it narrowed down to for us and how we came to that decision. Okay. And then, and then, and then then the world stopped and then there was COVID. COVID. It was like, it's like AC, BBC, whatever. And then now it's like pre-COVID and then it's it's after COVID. So it was like life after, after COVID. So I think for us, it was like, you had to really if you're ever the type of person that cannot deal with uncertainty, this is the kind of stuff that will just put you through the ringer. I mean, birth in, in general, in general, like, you just don't know what you're going to get. Like, yeah. right. I had every intention of having an unmedicated birth, right. Not necessarily that I was going to like, you know, give birth next to a tree, but yeah. I was going to like, I was just like, I'm going to feel my way through this. I'm going to breathe my way through this. I've got, mm-hmm. you know, two people supporting me, but that quickly went from, 
that idea to me having a C-section at midnight. Okay. So so. (laughs) like, you know, you just, you really don't know what you're going to get. And so even with, so now you add in the layer of COVID on top of it and you just really had to learn to roll with whatever information you had at the time, because I gave birth on May 12th, COVID started two months prior. And I think even at the time that, you know, I had my son, we still did not even know all that much about COVID at that point. We were, yes. people were just starting to wear masks. Um, the hospital policy was basically changing by the day. So mm-hmm. we had these very mm-hmm. frequent conversations about what did you hear? Yes. You know, and what did you hear? And exactly. Just like the word on the street was, okay, you know, we went from me giving, potentially giving birth by myself at some point in April. And so I was mentally preparing for that as a possibility, which looking, I mean, I thought it was crazy at the time and terrible at the time. And now even looking back on it, it's like barbaric to me, the thought that if that you would have to birth alone, like unless that was your choice and that's the way you want to do it. And and God bless anybody who does. I'm not that person, but the idea that you would make the person who's giving birth, give birth alone is just crazy to me. So we went from me potentially giving birth alone to partners can be let in. And then, you know, was it a question of once you leave the hospital, you can't reenter? There was that for a moment. And then ultimately, you know, by the time it got around to our time to give birth, um, we were allowed to then have our sort of full complement of, of partners and also able just to get um, COVID tests as well, too, because we were still yes. in a space where you couldn't guarantee that you could actually even get a COVID test. And if you had symptoms and you probably had COVID, you were just going to get treated for any symptoms that you had. So it was just the craziness of not knowing what the actual hospital policies were going in. And we were just on that cusp of like hospitals really kind of beginning to understand what was happening and solidify what their policies were. Mm-hmm. So we were just done. We were on the very early, the very early stages of, yes. of that, which, you know, we were a little bit guinea pigs, but you know, we, we, we ended up making it through. Yes. And so in part, like one of the things I wanted to bring up too, is like the whole option section, right? Because it was like in the beginning when it was like, you were going to birth alone, the only other option would have been, well, two options would have been home birth or the birthing center. And then in the absence of that, you chose to go into the hospital. So we had to like talk through what all of those options were. And then after those options, it was okay. where husbands are allowed in. And then we decided, well, if what happens if he tests positive, right? Right. So if he were to test positive, then I had, I had said I would go in, um, in his absence and then doulas were allowed in and that's a whole other change. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So, so we, Let's see. <laughs> no, I'm trying, trying to. I feel like sometimes with childhood, you block a lot of these. these of course, out. You, you're busy. You have to focus on your baby it's, now. It's also otherwise yes. you'd never do consider doing it again, right? So, <laughs> but we we went through. Yeah, so it was. We definitely explored the home birth option, which also I I don't I didn't understand at the time. Like it when. It was one of those, it seemed like a good idea at the time, yes. right? Yes. But in hindsight, you do the research and you reached out to some folks that you had recommended. But 
home birth is not for everybody. I can see why it's appealing to a lot of women, but to me, it actually seems like it's available for a way smaller set of birthing people than it, than, you know, than it's not, it's just not for everybody. Meaning that I was already high risk being over 35. I had gestational diabetes. My doctor had already decided that she did not want me to go to 40 weeks and that we would induce. So that kind of just put me out of that category. And again, I was also looking at home birth because we were still in a moment in time where hospitals were not necessarily the safest place to be. The hospitals could not guarantee that because they didn't understand the virus the way that we do now and they didn't have those policies in place. So we're thinking, okay, home birth. We also live in insanely small apartments. So it actually was never really at the top of my list of like, my yes. neighbors are going to hear this. <laughs> if we had, if we ended Every up neighbor going, no. in New York hears home birth. Like, yes. That's, that's, yeah. Yes. There is no, I was like, wow, this is going to be so, so extra if, if we go this route, but it ended up basically taking itself out of, out of the equation. And overlapping with that at the same time was, okay, we'll now hear all the changes in policy that, okay, yes. we now can let one partner in. We're limited to one partner. But then again, what happens if the one partner that you had decided on then becomes positive? Who do you, who do you switch out to? And hospitals were also at the same time trying to figure out virtually beaming in people, you know, any support partners that you have and how many people could that be? And what does that look like? And do, you know, does the, you know, would I be the one bringing my laptop? Do they have communications equipment to allow me to you know, communicate out. We ended up using WhatsApp and it worked beautifully. Like, (laughs) you know, I brought my laptop. I thought we were going to use that. And then we ended up just kind of, it was like, kind of like, who's, you know, what is it? Who, who wants to be a millionaire and you call your lifeline? Like (laughs) we just called you as our lifeline every time we hit a decision point and that we needed to make, or every single time that we just needed to check in and see how it was going. And we needed that reinforcement. So, I mean, that's the way that it played out for us. And I think that was very much just, we could only react to what we had at that moment in terms of information and resources available to us. I think anybody who might be giving birth now, now that it's September, it's probably in a very different place in terms of what the policies are. It's easier to get a test. You just know. I mean, I was just happy that the three of us were able to get a test and to know the same day. I think that was actually like a big deal. That was a huge relief for me that at least we would, that we would know. Yes, because at the time we had to go in the day before your induction to get tested and we all got tested. And when, by the time you were admitted into the hospital, probably a few hours after you were able to get all of the results, you were able to get my results as well because I hadn't gotten my results. So we knew that. We knew going in. Yes, we knew going in at the beginning, just in the event of anything else happening that we were covered. Yes. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes. And then going into the hospital for the induction, how was that process for you? That was, it was actually pretty smooth, I would say. You know, um, again, first baby, not really knowing what to expect. Um, surprisingly, the hospital is actually quite full, which I did not anticipate. We were scheduled to go in, I would say, probably 1 a.m. And the doctor had just advised us to call, call like two hours before you go in to make sure that they're not. Um, they're not too, um, they're not too full. And surprisingly, they actually were pretty full. And so we waited a few more hours before we went into the hospital. So it was probably 2am by the time you actually get there. And then it ends up being like another two hours by the time everything gets going. The only 
um, thing that I'm sure is different again, COVID is that um, my husband and I were actually separated for yes. a bit of time where even though the hospital had, because we, we did the test through the hospital, the COVID test. So it was all within the, the Mount Sinai systems. But when we arrived at the hospital, we were at Mount Sinai West. Um, I was still sent upstairs first to go uh, be admitted and kind of get paperwork underway and get into the room and all that kind of good stuff. But then my husband had to wait downstairs and essentially, I had to be in in my room and fully admitted before they would allow him into the room. So we uh, fortunately, because we had talked about it before, is that being a possibility, I at least knew to expect that. So I was not too freaked out about it. I think if I had not known about that, I would have been way more concerned. It was just like a matter of how how long is this going to take? Is this going to be 30 minutes? Or is this going to be two hours before he gets up here? Because I think what I was concerned about at the time was, you know, is all of this going to get underway and I'm still, and it's hours and I'm still waiting and he's just downstairs waiting, you know, and not knowing. And the communication, again, did not exactly flow as well as you would have liked to at that point. So we're just texting back and forth, you know, have you heard anything? Have you heard anything? Did a nurse come get you? Did somebody, did somebody come or did anybody come get you? And you know, when's the likelihood that you're going to be brought upstairs? So I think that was um, the most challenging part, but I think once we got into the room, everything seemed like what it would probably be like in a non COVID environment. The upside was we were not asked to wear masks. And obviously I think that's partly because we had been tested. So they knew we did not have it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't recall I, whether or not all of the staff wore masks. I think some did and some did not now that I'm thinking about it. Okay. But other than that, I think that once we were actually, we got the induction underway, most things seemed like a pretty normal non-COVID induction. And then, you know, the, we started with the balloon and then we went to the Pazosin. Yes. So, yeah. So, so it was uh, after that, then, you know, it's kind of blurry after after all of that, but There were moments where where you did reach out to me. They would ask a question and you would say, one second, I want to get through this contraction. Exactly. (laughs) And then you'd be like, and then one more second, we're going to check in with our doula. And they were totally fine with that. Yeah. And and I would say the hospital was very, they were very accommodating. I think that they were trying to do their best with a lot of unknowns for them, them as well knowing that labors can go on for a very long time. So um, that was, I think, uh, a positive about the process was the staff was genuinely trying to be accommodating, knowing just what a, it, it, it's a crazy time to be in the hospital anyway, and a crazy time to um, be giving birth. And I, I think that they were just very, very accommodating about that. So, you know, throughout the day after we, we started, you know, with the balloon, balloon that went on for several hours that worked well then we added in the pitocin then things really got hot (laughs) things and things we we, but we were warned we were warned it really kicks in it really kicks into high gear yes but uh i will say though that believe it or not whatsapp worked really well and that anytime that we needed the reassurance 
we had a decision to make that we could call you and tap in and just say, okay, like let's team huddle (laughs) and let's, let's decide where we're, where we're going, where we're going next. And my labor I think was long in the sense that sure, it seemed long to me, but probably not longer in the grand scheme of things. If we got started, let's say it's probably 4am, the balloon went on for a few hours and then we did Pitocin from, I would say, I think it was mid morning. I think I made it to like five o'clock, 5 PM that, that Monday Mm -hmm. before I, I couldn't take it anymore. And we had to get the epidural. Even my, my husband was kind of like, you look like you're about to lose your mind. You should do it. He's like, I know this is not what you had planned on, but I actually think that you need this now. Like you can't, you haven't, you haven't eaten really anything, Mm -hmm. you know, and obviously the hospital limits it. We brought our snacks. We totally brought our snacks, but, and, and you need, and you need it. You know, it was funny. I think you and I had this conversation about preparing before that, um, I kind of looked at, because I'm a runner, like, look, I looked at it as going into a race and like, what would I need to get me through a half marathon? So I actually brought the same food with me that I would have consumed if I were doing a half marathon. So it was stuff that was like super easy to digest. I actually brought my running gels with me (laughs) and the little, like the little stroop waffle wafers, like the same stuff that you can eat basically without choking on it while you're actually trying to run. (laughs) So that was like my, that was my methodology, my way into this. I was like, okay, like I get this. Like I have a frame for like, of, of how I, how I can deal with this. So that was my, that was my way into it. And so, you know, we, we, we labored through about 5 PM and then called it for, for an epidural at about 5 PM. And that was sweet, sweet relief. Yes. <laughs> I, will, I will not lie. That was, I remember. That I remember. was sweet relief, <laughs> you know, and, and honestly, having been awake from like 2 AM that morning, it allowed me to take a nap and just, really, really reset. And I was like, okay, I think I can get through this. Whereas before I was like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. It's hard. It's hard. Like you just think you're going to evaporate into thin air. You don't even know what that means. Like you're like, you're like, I'm going to die. This is crazy. This pain is insane. But you, you just, I actually thought I just might evaporate. Like it wasn't going to be a painful death. I was just going to wither away and they were going to just carry me out. And I don't know what happens to my kid or my, or my husband or whatever. So so that was it. So we, we, you know, we, we did the epidural. I was able to sleep for a few hours. And then after I woke up, I felt so much better, but then that's when thing I, I should say things got hot. Then things started to get hairy after yes. that. Yeah. So this was early evening. Mm-hmm. I'm awake. We're feeling okay. But one, the epidural starting to wear off a little bit at this point. I was like, okay, so now what do we, do we just keep re-upping? Like how long does this go for? Because things actually stopped progressing at that point. I was mm-hmm. probably five centimeters dilated yeah. between the balloon and the Pitocin and then everything just plateaued. Mm-hmm. And initially we were trying to just wait not wait it out a, a little bit, but then we began, you know, the doctor suggested be, playing with the Pitocin and um, taking it on and off because then we ended up getting into a situation where the baby's heart started to decelerate. Yes. He wasn't Um, responding well to the the Pitocin contractions. Yes. And usually they turn it off a little bit to let it completely remove itself from your system. And then they start it up again. Yes. Yes. So we did that. We played with that about 
two times mm-hmm. um, before we started to, before the C-section phrase started to enter yes. the conversation. And I was yes. just kind of like, what? I, you know, it, yeah. it's funny because jokingly, I had said to my doctor at the last visit, I said, you know what? I'm going to end up with a C-section. We're going to go through all this. And I did all the childbirth classes and all the education and I was ready. But the C-section, I had put it so far out of my mind as a mm-hmm. possibility because I felt like, we had tried to do control for what we could control for in terms of making sure that we didn't get to that point. But she was like, look, you're, we only do C-sections if they're medically necessary. So yes. she was, she said to me, that's, you shouldn't really be thinking about it. You should be prepared for it, but there's zero, there's nothing to indicate here that you would actually need that. So I wouldn't focus on it too much. Yes. And then here we, here we are. Right? Well, we have to say though, right. That you, you had that thought, but the other element to it is that the baby wasn't reacting well to the Pitocin. So the Pitocin is the fuel that's keeping the contractions going. And then the absence of that, and also because the baby's reacting to it, it's like we had to make a decision on what's going to happen because we couldn't keep going with the Pitocin because the baby wasn't tolerating it. And then we weren't dilated enough. You weren't dilated enough to kind of like, be in the next phase of pushing or anything of the sort. So then they had the conversation about why was this happening? We, we weren't sure, right? There were many things that we, yeah, we really, we really didn't know. All I remember is you saying like, he's trying to tell you something yes. because I remember there was a moment when uh, I think the resident came in or one of the nurses said, Oh, he's at, I think I had gone into the hospital, I think at zero station. So he was, he was moving. He was going yes. in the right direction. He yes. had every intention of coming out the old fashioned way. Yes. And then suddenly he had gone back up. Mm-hmm. And that's when I remember you saying, Hey, like this kid's trying to tell you something. Yeah. And we realized, okay, this is becoming a situation where C-section is a reality and we need to figure out if we're going to do this or not. And so after playing with the Pitocin for a little while and, and taking it off and putting it back on, the doctor came in and said, we can do this a third time. It doesn't seem likely that it's going to help. Um, and we want to, you know, so you really, she said, I think at that point she had already suggested to do a C-section and said like, you really have to consider this at this point. Like this is where we are in the process. Mm-hmm. And so once again, and we call you, we tap in our lifeline and said, all right, I, this, this is where we are. Cause at this point it's probably nine thirty, ten o'clock at night. Yes. Right. By the time yes. I've seen the residents, mm-hmm. the doctors come in and all that kind of good stuff. And yeah, so we, you know, talk, had, we'd talked through so many scenarios. And I think at that point we were at the last scenario, which yes. is we're going in for a C-section. So that was, that was pretty much it. And so we realized, all right, that this is, this is a thing that we, we have to do. And so I feel like at that point, it just becomes such a different operation, right? Because you're going in for surgery essentially. So, you know, this unplanned operation and it just kind of becomes this well-oiled machine of like, this is what's going to happen. Da, 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 right. You know, Mm -hmm. they pull you off the Pitocin and then they prepare you to will you into that, into that OR and, you know, you're going to move rooms and your husband, my, my husband's got to, I'm like, get everything together, get all this stuff. We got to yes. go here. We got to go all there. Your stuff. Mm-hmm. Get everything. It's like sending the clowns and, and that, and that's kind of it. I just, I got very, I, the one moment I got nervous was I think at, I think at two points, one is when I realized that he was kind of going back up and 
they hadn't mentioned it prior. And then it was, it almost felt like a casual mention. I was like, wait, 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 wait. We didn't talk about this. What's going on? Like, how did we get here? We were not in this place. So I don't think it was any intentional, like oversight. It was just kind of like, oh, okay, well he's, he's back, he's back up and he's not descending. So we have to think about things a little differently. And just when they couldn't, when his heart started to decelerate and that happened two times, that's when I got really scared. Yes. Right. So that, that was very, that was really tough. Cause I remember I was like laying in the bed and Pedro was sitting in the, uh, in the chair and I just looked over he, and I had my head away from the ner- nurses. And I said to, him, I just mouthed and I was like, I'm really scared. Like that was the one time. Cause I, I just, we just didn't know anything mm-hmm. that, w- that was really happening. Like in a, they, they couldn't tell me definitively, okay, this is exactly what's happening right now is like, this is our best guess as to what's happening. And here's what we think you should do a, B and C to react to this situation. So it, you know, it was 10 ish at night. We called it for C-section and then, and we go and, Still one of those, again, not knowing that this, how it's done pre-COVID, during COVID, you know, they throw a hazmat suit at my husband and and tell him to suit up and they're like, me in the OR, (laughs) see see, see out there. So uh, yeah, so it was, it was, that was a little bit entertaining. We actually got a good laugh out of it and some pretty good pictures of him head to toe in goggles and the whole thing before, before they, uh, before they wheeled us out. But, mm-hmm. um, but after you, you get in there, it's, I, I look, I also never spent a night in the hospital prior to this. So all yes. of this was new to me. I'd been to the emergency room once because I have a nut allergy and I'd eaten nuts once and, and went to the ER as a precaution. So this was all very new to me. Going into this bright room, it's cold. There's all these people buzzing around. They lay you out on the table. Your arms are stretched out and you're just like, oh my God, it's, it's about to go down, right? You just, you don't even know. So that was a little freaky for me. I had a bit of an, a panic, a panic attack on the operating table. Mm -hmm. That was, that was nuts. I just, I just freaked out. Like I didn't, because you don't, you don't know. You're just, you hear, and and every worst fear that you have about a birth experience, if you've ever read about, about, about a bad birthing experience before is the thing that floods into your mind of what, what happens if something goes wrong. Yes. Like that's all you can, that's all you can kind of think about. So I basically had a panic attack and I could not breathe and I freaked out. And the, I mean, the anesthesiologist was a wonderful, wonderful human being. And she literally grabbed my hand. She's like, it's going to be okay. And her, she had this super thick French accent. She was just like, so, so lovely. She's like, it's going to be fine. Like, she's like, I'm going to hold your hand. You're going to be okay. And I will say everybody in the OR was great in terms of walking me through, like, this is what's happening right now. We're going to do this next. And, you know, the, the resident who was, um, who was supporting the doctor there said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to expose your belly right now because we're going to prepare to do X, Y, and Z. And so, you know, I'm sure that I am, was not the first, (laughs) I will not be the last person to have had a mild freak out on the table, but they were, they were really, really wonderful about, um, calming me down. And then obviously they bring your partner in last. So I think once my husband got in there and I could like look him in the eye and he was like, you're going to be fine. It's everything is going to be okay. Like they're taking really good care of you. Um, then I could just kind of take some deep breaths and focus on him 
is how I got through the actual operation itself, which, you know, as I knew was very, very quick, but you still never really know what to expect. And then they did, um, they did the gentle C-section. So, you know, you have this, the, the, the blue um, tarp thing. Up. Drape. Yeah. Drape. Thank uh-huh. you. The drape. You have the blue drape up, but as soon as they pulled him out, they dropped that down. So there's that clear screen and I could, yes. you know, I could see him see as they him. pulled it out. And the best part was someone just goes, he's got a dimple. <laughs> Which was, it was so funny because like, you know, I'm sure that they do many of these births on any one given day, yes. but the genuine excitement, I don't remember remember who shouted it but whatever was in there was just like he's got a dimple and I was like my baby's got a dimple the great and he's just like out there you know they're holding it up yes. and he's like screaming and then they put the they put the drape back up and they kind of go away and they do all the things that they're gonna do um so it all happened very quickly but then you know, the, we come to find out that he was tangled in his umbilical cord and that was the reason that he was not descending and so it was babies are very neck. smart they know. And like you said, they he's know. trying to tell you something. It was mm-hmm. around his foot and it was around his neck. And he just knew instinctively. He wasn't going that, anywhere. Yeah. And this was the only way that he was coming out. So it ended up being the exact right choice because it was, you know, the thing that got us all through the process safely. Yeah. Yeah. And then describe the moments after postpartum in, you know, during COVID in the hospital afterwards, was your husband allowed to stay? Um, Were you in a shared room or private room? So we got downstairs, it was middle of the night and they put us into a shared room. So at this time they were still reserving private rooms. We had hoped for a private room, but they were reserving private rooms only for, um, pregnant patients who had tested positive for COVID. So we were in a shared room, which was not awesome. I won't lie. You know, it's, it's a large room, but basically there's just like two curtains separating you and another couple who's also gone through this very, you know, um, crazy, very intimate experience. So we were just, we were just also so tired at that point because we had been awake for so many hours and it was the middle of the night by the time they got us back to the room that we, you know, one of the, nurses came down and said, why don't I take the baby for a little while just so you can sleep for two? I think she could see it on our yeah. faces that we were just, we were through and we were like, yes, that's a, that's a wonderful idea. Thank you for saving us. But fortunately he was allowed to stay the entire time, which was a huge help to me. Uh, I think just an overall, it was just a good thing for all of us, all three yes. of us, I should say that he, you know, we just tucked, we tucked up into that tiny little bed together, which I think was, was good. And then the nurses would just bring the baby in and out, but he was allowed to stay with me, but he was also allowed to leave as well. So he, we stayed there two nights mm-hmm. and he did leave um, just during the day to go home and get some stuff and, and, and come back because at that time they, the hospital was discharging after one night, optionally, if you had a vaginal delivery and then if, even if you had a C-section, they would allow you to leave after two nights. And that was, that was your choice. Um, we, we stayed for two nights and we were offered if we wanted to stay a third night. But at that time I felt, I didn't feel great about being yeah. in a hospital. So I just wanted to go home. Like even having it had, I, <laughs> I can't say, even though I had a C-section, I'm going to get this out. Even though I had a C-section, I, and I could have used like the additional rest and the additional support of the nurses on staff there. I was more happy and more comfortable just to be home in yes, my own house. In your own space. 
totally in my own space. But I will say that the I, I really do think that the staff seem to go out of their way just because I don't think anybody was going to get the birth experience that they expected because of COVID. Exactly. Exactly. And, and did you get any additional help with breastfeeding in the hospital? We did. So my son was not a great latcher. Um, so we did get some help. There were two, we actually saw two lactation consultants and I will say that that was the one, that's the one area I think even through now that wasn't that, I guess didn't live up to my expectations, but I also just didn't, don't know that I really knew what to expect. Mm-hmm. So I saw one lactation consultant. Oh, and I will say that I wasn't able to immediately breastfeed. So we had discussed whether or not, like if I had a normal vaginal delivery, obviously breastfeeding like immediately. And then even if I had a C-section that I might be able to do that um, immediately after having it. But also the reaction that I had to the medication from the C-section, I was, I had the shakes. Mm-hmm. Like I actually couldn't even hold him. I had the shakes. So I couldn't, I couldn't hold him in like the way that I wanted to right away. I had to give it at least, I would say probably more than an hour, maybe even mm-hmm. two hours before that process process could begin. So it wasn't so much separation, but it, it was like a little bit of separation. Yeah. So I also realized in hindsight that it, it, it's such a blur and being my first kid, like I just, I didn't, I didn't even know what was happening. Like now that I think about it, like yeah. I, I was like, yes, I want a lactation consultant. Someone come help me with this. I'm not even sure. So I ended up seeing, I ended up seeing two before we left the hospital, partially because I love a second opinion. Like, why not? I've, people have different methodologies yes. and um, ways of, of teaching you how to, how, to, how to breastfeed and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I was open to that. The first lactation consultant that I met with was, she was lovely. And she was like, you know what? I have three kids. I've had my fair share of challenges. Like, you, this is something that you want to do. You'll, you'll figure this out. Like, but let me, let me give you with the time that I have allotted for you. Let me just give you all the knowledge that I can, I can give to you. And, you know, we went over different positions. She had me try out the pump just to get comfortable with it. Helped me basically make a hands-free nursing bra, which has been my saving grace because I am an exclusive pumper. Um, and then I also saw that even with the second, um, lactation consultant. And at this time we were also, we also began to supplement because he was losing weight and he wasn't latching. So the kid needed to get fed, but she, the second lactation consultant did say, she was like, look, you know, you, she said, she held up the bottle of form and she goes, we can undo this. Like, this is not a permanent thing that I know that you want to breastfeed. You don't want to give your kid formula, but sometimes it doesn't happen the way that you think it's going to happen. But just because he's on formula now doesn't mean that he's always going to be on formula. So that was reassuring mm-hmm. to, to me, definitely. But I think that the thing that I was most surprised about is that the, it, it feels like it begins to feel like a very binary choice that it's either you breastfeed or you supplement Yeah, and that there's no in between. And once I got home and you know, struggled with breastfeeding. Like I felt like my kid hated it. I was like, I'm not loving this. Cause I feel like my kid is screaming all the time. This is absolutely insane. Like this isn't good for either of us. And the more that I researched it and, and decided that exclusive pumping was the way for us to go, 
but it almost feels it does feel like this very binary thing that there's nothing in between for you either you're either you're either giving formula totally or you're only breastfeeding and so that was the thing that I was most I think surprised and sort of disappointed by and it's funny that um on one of the exclusive pumping websites, actually there aren't many, it's exclusivepumping.com if I'm going to give them a shout out. Yes. Um, she, the woman who runs the site is also a lactation consultant and she said she had gone for training and she said out of the many hundreds of pages, there were probably only two or three pages on exclusive pumping as an option for mothers, which I was really surprised by because to me that was my saving grace was that I wanted to give my kid breast milk, but nursing wasn't really working out. And I said, there's got to be a better way, even if it's not the final solution about how we're going to go, at least in a temporary fashion, there's got to be a better way. And so I kind of just felt like I rabbit holed and fell into it out of many nights of like sitting up Googling in the middle of the night, having conversations with you and trying to figure out, I'm like, I don't even understand breastfeeding. I don't understand pumping. Like as many things as I read and I read Ina May's book and I watched all the parent education classes, like I still didn't like, get it. Like it didn't click for me. And so it just took a lot of stumbling and questions and talking to just different people to kind of cobble together what was going to be the right solution for, for us basically. Yes. And I think that that's the key. It's finding the right solution for you because it doesn't work for everyone. I also had um, issues with breastfeeding as I had shared. My son went the first eight days of his life without pooping and I had to supplement pump. And it was just like, that was it. It was like supplementing, pumping, trying to nurse, trying to figure it out. And three months later, my milk came in. So yeah, it's, it's finding the right solution. And overall, how, how would you say, what would you advise people about birthing during COVID. Oh, be okay with uncertainty. Like you just have to roll with it. I mean, look, I think a little bit of that goes for your birthing experience, no matter what, like Mm -hmm. you plan for the birth that you would like to have, but you have to recognize that there are going to be things that are out of your control and that you just may end up in a situation that you didn't expect. So you just have to plan for your contingencies essentially. Um, And that's, I think the best way to manage all of the stress that comes around it and that there's no right or wrong way to birth really whatever works for you like don't let anybody shame you like you don't especially if you've never done it before don't let anybody shame you into what you what you know that you need like if you need pain medication you need pain medication there's no shame in that if you want to do it unmedicated that's great that doesn't make you crunchy and granola and weird if you want to have a planned c-section that's your business not mm-hmm. anybody else's, not like, not your mom's, not your dad's, <laughs> not your friend down the block, not your neighbor, Nobody. not the people on the street that you meet that want to ask invasive questions that they have no <laughs> business asking. Cause there's been plenty of that as well. Yeah. Not anybody who wants to give you unsolicited advice. And so there are many ways to go through this process and there's no right or wrong way. And like, you're going to make mistakes when it comes to like those those, not even those first 12 weeks, like as a parent, like you're just gonna, like this, this isn't about nailing it, right? And you have to get that out of your head. I think I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. So I, I, you know, I'm thinking like, I gotta, I gotta do all of these things and check all of these boxes, but that's, that's so not what it's about, right? It's like, you're, you're 
you're going to just have to figure it out and you're going to have to deal with what is presented to you. If your kid doesn't latch, like that's what you're going to have to deal with. If you are breastfeeding and you figure out that you have a low milk supply, like you're going to have to deal with that. You just don't know what you're going to get. And so the best thing that you can do, I think, is educate yourself as much as possible, whether it's reading things, you know, reading. There's so many good books out there. There's I'm cautious about the internet piece of it because there's yes. a lot of good information, yeah. but there's all also a lot of really bunk information as well. I think the good part about having had a doula, which I also recommend to everybody because I think you need that, that support um, partially because that's really not your doctor's job to educate you. But as I'll say, sometimes you don't know how your partner is going to go through this with you. And sometimes you, you also might need, you might need somebody on deck, right? Mm-hmm. Just, just in case, but having, having that support, but you were also able to steer us to the right resources, quality resources. Um, even just, uh, what is it? Uh, the one that's on YouTube, I can't remember the name. Um, Oh, I remember the, the, the woman who she's also a nurse, um, evidence-based. Oh, evidence-based birth, like yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that actually ended up being a great resource. So there are, you know, working, being able to work with the doula, being able to work with you, you were able to steer us to the right types of resources that were good science, good, you know, good medical advice, people who were thorough, people who were vetted people, you know, in, in, in the field to allow us to help us make the decisions that we, we needed to make. So I think that's, that's the most important point is really, really educate yourself as the way to help you make decisions because there's no right or wrong way to do it. You're going to figure out what you need and what your, what your baby needs. Yeah. I think that that is a perfect ending to <laughs> to this interview. Thank you so much. That was really, really I'm great. so happy to share and yeah. now I get to, and now I get to say thank you to you in front of Aww. everybody else because we could not have we could not have done it without you. It was, it's I'm it's a so wild experience and yes. we wouldn't I can't imagine having done it any other way. So oh. You. Yeah, he's beautiful. He's, he's gorgeous. <laughs> I love and he's seeing a him on kid. Instagram. Yeah, and he is a giggle monster, and it's oh. awesome. It's so rewarding just to see, you know, this like beautiful kid that you made on the other side of it. Side of, and so yeah. it's, it's great. So thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Definitely, and you have to send me those giggles because I want to. I want to hear. Oh, them. full on belly I, laughs. I got I many. I have many it. recordings for you. Yes, send them. The send them my way. I love them. I love them. Thank you so much. Thank you, Annette. And I hope that once this is all over. We get to we'll see each other back again. Up again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because I have a lot to beach. report. I'll run into you yes. at the beach. That's my happy place. Time for some sun. Time for some sun. Thursday, 80 degrees. I'm just saying. Hi, Amber. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And so great to have you share your experience. And I can't wait for everyone to hear about your story. Um, and on that note, I'd like to just start with, you know, how did you go about hiring a doula? Yeah, so I knew pretty early on that I, I wanted a doula. So, um, you know, when I found out that I, I was pregnant, um, I like immediately, I mean, uh, several, there were several emotions, <laughs> but uh, because it was, you know, for full disclosure, always wanted, you know, wanted kids, but definitely this was the, the timing wasn't, uh, wasn't planned. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think prior to even um, 
I was pregnant, I had taken an interest in just like maternal mortality and had, you know, read about issues that black women were facing in terms of maternal mortality. And just those stats are really awful across socioeconomic status, education levels, just really, um, just really horrible experience with black women. So I had always thought, okay, one, I'm scared of childbirth, mm-hmm. which I, I just was, I'm like this, it seems like a both uh, an amazing thing, but also like, oh man, this seems really painful and really scary. And like, people don't talk about it in detail. And I'm like, what is, what's going on? So, so I think that kind of fear combined with having kind of read about black women's experiences, um, giving birth, I knew, okay, I need someone who's going to focus on me and um, give me, you know, help give me information to make decisions and to be another advocate when I'm in like my most vulnerable space. Um, and who can kind of like walk alongside me and like my husband in that, in that journey. And who also is, you know, yeah, having someone with kind of experience with expertise and knowledge to help us make the best decision for ourselves and help me make the best decision for myself in that process was something that I like very early on knew, knew I wanted. Um, and so I actually used, I I started, you know, when I realized, okay, I want a doula. And I think a lot of folks mentioned it being, um, usually towards like the, the third trimester that you kind of want to, um, kind of have that locked in. I, started Googling. I, um, there were some services I maybe had followed in the past. I I stumbled upon Boober. I think that is ultimately the service that I used. I think there was a couple that I like felt filled out information on. I thought like Boober was actually really excellent. Filled out my information there, had like a quick chat with them to talk about what I was looking for and for them to just answer questions about how it goes. Mm -hmm. What's the process like? How do you, um, what questions you, you ask, what does different experience levels mean? What are different tiers? Like all the, all those things that I hadn't uh, really experienced before. And so they were really great. And they sent back based on my, um, based on my needs and what I thought I wanted. They sent back a few different folks and I received your profile. Uh, and I was like, okay, I definitely have to, to meet with her. I think I only met with maybe two people, two people, I think well, maybe one other person and, and yourself. Um, but that's how it started. Um, and and I was really fortunate that like my husband wanted to be very involved. And so we were both there. Um, you know, I think I maybe chatted on the phone first or we emailed and then we met in person, uh, which was a lovely meeting. And, and afterwards, so my husband and I were like, yep. I still, as I told you before, I'm craving that avocado toast. Yes, uh, I know. It was a great great place to meet. It was a great place to meet. Yes, it was a good meeting. And then how did you imagine your birth experience being? Oh, and I think it's hard for me to think honestly, pre-COVID because... Yeah, pre-COVID. Yeah, pre-COVID. I wanted... So, you know, I... My OB, you know, I had an OB mm-hmm. um, through Mount Sinai West. So I was going to have like a hospital birth. I did have a hospital birth. And that was something I never really wavered on. I really was like, okay, I want to find an OB that I'm comfortable with, who also um, is comfortable with me make, making decisions and giving me, you know, her giving me the information that I need, but isn't pushy, right? In, in ways that some might think about like different hospitals and, and different OBs. And so, 
I imagined like, yeah, I imagined actually, this is, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm remembering now. I imagined, you know, my husband being there, having a doula there, having my mom there. That was actually a, a, a big part of it too. Um, having like those different types of kind of support systems mm-hmm. in the birth, also labor, laboring at home prior to, to going to the hospital. Um, I imagined, you know, really having like a, like a spiritual experience yeah. and feeling very present mm-hmm. and, um, and knowing that I'm like doing something really difficult but also very possible with like preparation and know-how kind of similar to like a marathon. I've, I've ran one marathon and I remember like um, knowing that it was at times painful, but like I was preparing for that. And so I felt like I could endure that type of pain. So I, I thought of, you know, the preparation that I wanted to, to do before the birth as that knowing, okay, it's going to be difficult probably going to hurt. It's probably going to be painful, but I have the right things to support me kind of in that pain. Um, and so those were probably the things I imagine really like the people there and that feeling and that being really, really present. Yeah. Those are, those are the main things that, that, that stick out to me. Yeah. Yeah. And then COVID hits. Yes. <laughs> and the changes that ensued because of COVID, like what were your first reactions to the first changes? There was a lot. So to give, I guess, some background, um, after I became pregnant, my husband and I had already been thinking about potentially moving to a bigger place, also living communally with my cousins. And um, after I pregnant, we were like, okay, well, we should, this would be the time to, to do that. Um, and thankfully, a lot of that was set in motion. But it also brought a bit of stress during like, just during the pregnancy, we were moving. Um, so we were packing up our stuff. We were trying to find renters for our current place. We were trying to, you know, close on a place, which the paperwork involved in that. And the back and forth is a lot. We were trying to first find a place then actually put in contract. And so we just had a lot of different things going on. I was in the midst of switching jobs. I was trying to decide, am I going to switch jobs before or after the baby is born, right? Am I going to stay in my current job, have my maternity leave there? Or am I going to switch early enough that I'm at this other job for a couple months before the baby's born? And so we were, we were managing all of those different things, which that is a lot. Yeah, it was, it was a lot. So, so that happened. And honestly, I imagine, okay, great. We got to beginning of March. We had our closing date. It was March 4th. We moved in literally that night. We started staying in our other place. Um, And I thought, oh, wow, great. I'm going to be in my job for a few months. We're going to be settling into this new place. I'm going to have some... Some, some time where like things are a bit more consistent and finish the preparation, you know, for the last trimester, last trimester and a half, like, and that didn't really happen. It just like more things came. So on, on the one hand, feeling really grateful that we moved into our new place with space and with our cousin that we made that decision because it would have been a mess with COVID if we had not made that decision. Um, and the timing worked out perfectly because our, our closing date probably would have fallen through. Our renters probably would not have rented our other place. A lot of things could have just like spiraled out of control. Um, but with that came like with COVID, I feel like the preparation and things that I really thought I would have time to do and space to do both mentally, uh, emotionally, just kind of went away. It was like a new level of preparation. So I think the first, the first change, uh, was, you know, I'd started doing registered for child's, um, childbirth class 
mm-hmm. that became virtual. It's not in person anymore, right? Um, the place that I, I did it through, uh, birthday presents, it's great. Really, really awesome class. They, they made it work. But in that class, I think the day before that class or in that class is when we found out that New York hospitals Um, I think starting with, I think it was New York Presbyterian started um, saying that no one else was allowed in labor and delivery and postpartum except for parents. And I heard that and I was like, okay, that's one hospital. I'm at Mount Sinai West. Probably isn't going to be an issue. And during the class, uh, the person who was leading it was really great. And she was like, usually these things kind of follow that, like, it's going to trickle to, to everybody. And so she gave, honestly, a lot of people on the call had just found out. So it was really sad because several folks had, because of COVID, left New York. Um, and some had decided to have home births or were going to a birthing center where maybe before they weren't doing that. It was just, it was, it was a lot. So we did start looking into a birthing center. We did for a little while consider home birth. We talked to you yes. uh, a lot with, about, you know, it was, we were trying to vet something that we hadn't really vetted before and trying mm-hmm. to make an informed decision and not make a rest decision. Um, and for me, you know, I had never been opposed to a birthing center or home birth. It wasn't something I was doing right at a decision I had made. I wrote, one whole thing is just like, how can I have Isaiah present yes. at the birth? Because to imagine him not being there, I couldn't imagine it. I, I, I was just like, this, this is insane. So that was one. Not being, have to have, not being able to have my doula there, have you there, was just like, okay, this is all the supports that I needed to feel comfortable. We're just kind of going away. And then of course my mom, um, yes. being able to have her there. And so it was all these different things. A lot of our prep became virtual. Our meetings became virtual. The childbirth classes all became virtual. Um, figuring out where I was actually going to deliver. We're going to invest time and diligence with other uh, potential setups, which we did actually end up having to invest time in that. Um, and then the other one was, how are we going to get my mom here from Texas? To, she can't be a support in the room, yes. be here afterwards, because you probably won't be able to have other people around helping in the way in ways that they may have been pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. So it's just like all these different decisions that we had to make, all these we had to weigh, uh, even with her flying here and coming to stay with us, knowing like, you know, what's that going to be like? She actually flew here. We had her quarantine in a certain part of our house for 14 days. And um, I just like thinking back on it, so, so many different things that we had to adjust and account for made ever plan I had or thoughts I had of like an ideal birth, just most windows. Yeah. <laughs> for the most part. Um, yeah. So was, even though there were a lot of things that we did from it being ideal or what I had imagined before, many of the like foundational things uh, were still set. Really, really grateful for those. So our employment, right? That's a big one, especially during COVID. Good shelter, having space, having our cousins live in the same place as us, which is super helpful, especially given just the isolation of COVID and the isolation that can be a new parent in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm just, I'm very grateful that those things still worked out. Yeah. And then, so the first change was, you know, where are you going to give birth now that they were restricting partners and, and ultimately you decided. Yeah. So ultimately we decided actually a conversation. I mean, you had an open conversation with my OB 
in general and how they were handling COVID and what that looked like. So I had a, mm-hmm. had a very, very open conversation with her. Mm-hmm. Ultimately did decide to stay at the hospital um, for a few, few different reasons. Yeah. Um, we looked into different birthing centers, but know that like a lot of places were overwhelmed because yes. people did want to make that change to have their partner there. Yeah. That was big you know, knowing that they, you know, are overwhelmed. And so we ended up going with the hospital one just because we felt that the PPE would be available there. We knew it tested. Um, They actually weren't at capacity because a lot of people had been leaving New York or changing and or changing their birth plans. And so uh, it decided to to stay. And I was really, really fortunate that my OB was actually available on yeah. the day that I went into labor. Yeah. So she was there and was able to, to deliver, which was awesome. So let's backtrack a little. So when you yeah. were looking into, into the birthing center, you said they were overwhelmed. Speak a little bit to that, because I remember that story of the, the call of the birthing center. So yes, yeah, so we had looked into Brooklyn Birthing Center. Um, we knew that a birthing center could be an option for me. I had a low-risk pregnancy. Um, I spoke with a few different folks who had been at or a friend of mine connected me with someone who actually had delivered at Brooklyn Birthing Center and was going to deliver there. So we, I entered my information. I submitted a form. Um, we actually, everyone who delivers there has to go to kind of an orientation. It used to be in person. It was now virtual. Um, and what was crazy is that we got on the call and they were very transparent with how many folks were reaching out now. So the call, they said typically it would be like six to eight couples on these kind of orientation calls. And I think it was like 40 plus people on the orientation call. And so they, you know, they were like talking about, you know, how things normally operate, how things are operating now with COVID, also being transparent about capacity. And it was just really eye-opening. I was like, man, so many people are going through this, this, uh, this, you know, so many people are giving birth during COVID and considering different options. Yeah. Um, and so for us, it was a little bit jarring. I felt comfortable with the people there they were dealing with because of COVID, potentially not having um, enough space. Also, the, the transfer policy in terms of if I had to go to a hospital and, and thinking about that in a COVID world, if it was in a non-COVID world, I might have been comfortable with it, might have been comfortable if I had to get in an ambulance, but in a COVID world, maybe not. Um, and so that call was really enlightening. Also, just realizing a lot of people were making some pretty rushed decisions as yeah. well. So asking things like, do you all do epidurals? I'm like, it's a birthing center. <laughs> so pretty sure that that is not what's happening here. So it just, you know, yeah, kind of opened my eyes to like how many people are making decisions pretty quickly. Um, so all in all, you know, those are some of the reasons why we decided not to go with the birthing center. We felt like it's a great place if it was another, if it was a non COVID time or yes. like COVID had been around for a bit longer and in different accommodations had been made. I would have trying to have a, midwife deliver who delivers in the hospital and looked into some of those options. But again, because of the changes that were happening with COVID, so many folks, especially those who were most highly recommended were booked. And so I, you know, looking back on it, I, it it did make me think that I wish I had looked into some of these options earlier, even Mm -hmm. like not COVID. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I looked into them because of COVID, but especially having a midwife deliver in the hospital, like that could have been something I looked into 
earlier and I wish I had. Um, it kind of opened my eyes to that birth and just felt more comfortable with the testing precautions. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, thankfully the decision was reversed in terms of letting part was able to be there for the labor and delivery. Once I was admitted, uh, he was not able to be in postpartum, which was difficult because that's when you're also getting a lot of support from the nurses yes. and you're getting support from different doctors and you're kind of, they're teaching you things. And so there were things that I kind of learned and knew and had hands-on experience with that he didn't. And he was, yeah. you know, he really, he wanted to be there just in general for that level of support. So that was looking back on it. That was hard because there are things that I just like knew and he was mm-hmm. like, wait, what, when was this talked about? And I'm like, oh yeah, like you weren't, you weren't to be there. Which was hard. Yeah. Yeah. So I had another guest on previously, Tiffany, who gave birth almost around the same time. But it's funny, same hospital. Her husband was allowed to stay postpartum and yours wasn't allowed to stay postpartum. So that was also one of the changes that like became, that happened quickly. And so going back to the birth, the day of the birth happens and our plan was you go into labor and I come over and then we transfer to the yep. hospital. You and your husband go in, you and Isaiah go in and I, I go remote. So speak of, of your experience on that day. What, what yes. you did that day? <laughs> what was going on? Yeah, that day. So um, I guess it would have been April 28th. Yeah, because it was the day before. So April 28th, it was a Tuesday. I think it was a Tuesday. Yes, it was a Tuesday. And um, so, yeah, the plan was always to labor as much as possible at home and really not be in at the hospital until I'm more active. Um, that was always the plan. It was something I'd also communicated with my OB about, and she was super on board as well. Early, it was better to labor at home, but especially with COVID. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're trying to make sure that when people come in, they're active. Um, so yeah, we were about, I think we were a week or a little over a week out from the expected due date or the estimated due date. And I was still working. I hadn't fully transitioned things. Um, in the house, a lot of stuff was really set up. I think we had just finished putting, you know, the last pieces of furniture together, which was good because I definitely had started to just feel really pregnant. And so I was like, okay, like we, I need to stop. I need, this isn't something I should procrastinate on. And um, so it was, it was, yeah, it was about 11 a.m. or so. I had been working. I was in the middle of doing some like research interviews for work. So I was talking with external folks. And in one of my meetings, I was like, oh, my back is starting to like hurt a little bit. I think I started texting you saying, oh, I'm feeling a little pain in my back. You gave me some advice on some like exercises to do and positions to be in, stop sitting. It was just like, all right, I'm going to use a standing desk kind of situation. So I'd put some books up and put my laptop on them and was in another meeting. It was just like, "Mm, this feels a little weird. And so I finished that meeting. I messaged my teammate and just said, Hey, I'm going to go like lay down for a second. So I started doing that. It was probably like noon or so. Um, And then I was still texting you. And then I was like, and these pains, like they keep coming and going. It's not like a consistent thing. So then I was like, let me just take my stopwatch out. And I was like, this is happening like every four or five minutes. So, and I was like, are these contractions? Am I in labor? So in, in my, in my, in my apartment, my husband's working in another room. He's on his work call. I was like, okay, they're in calls. They're doing stuff. I'm fine. I know I'm going to labor at home. Like 
okay, like, let me just run a bath, you know, put some essential oils in there, start like just breathing through this, started breathing through it. I look and I kept timing things. I think it was, it was like contractions every five minutes for a minute for an hour. Yeah. And I started timing it. Exactly. And I started timing it and it was getting a little, it was like, no, this might be closer to three, one, one. And so we finally, I think Isaiah finishes the meeting. He comes in, I'm in the bath. And I'm like, I think I'm in labor. He's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> and I'm texting you. We get on the phone. You're hearing me breathe through it. You're like, yes. You're like, I was waiting for you to realize that. <laughs> So um, I think all in all, it progressed really quickly because yes. I got the, I, like it progressed very quickly. And I mean, I'm not sure what the norm is, but in my mind, I had imagined, oh, I could be at home for a day. Like that's yeah. possible that I could be mm-hmm. at home for a day. Um, I think the Friday before I was already three centimeters dilated when my OB checked me. So I thought, okay, maybe it could move more quickly. So yeah, I think I had my first contraction that I didn't know about, you know, a little lighter, maybe 11 a.m., 1 p.m. around then, mm-hmm. 4 or 5 p.m., we had called my father-in-law to start driving over so he could drive us to the hospital. Yes. Um, and I think by like 5 or 6, I was I was at the hospital. Um, we had not packed our bag yet, and so we're scrambling to do that. I'm putting on some type of clothing. I, I don't remember what I looked like. I didn't have much time because it just kept getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Yes. I was breathing through it. We got into the car. My, I still have a note that my husband wrote out that said, he like slipped it to my mom as she was on her call. It says, Amber's in labor. We need you <laughs> to come with us to the hospital. And it's on like a napkin that she still yes. has. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's really cute. It's really cute. And so we, everyone got in the car. I'm struggling kind of just standing there. And, um, and I do remember that I, in childbirth class, the doula who ran the class was like telling us certain things to bring and was like plastic bag for the car because I did throw up. Mm-hmm. So I started throwing up when we were in there it's at the hospital. Thankfully you would do the process a little bit so you could tell us what to expect. Mm-hmm. You know, it was tough because Isaiah couldn't go up with me. Right. Yeah. Until I was I- hoping, yeah, I was hoping that, yeah. You know, I, I showed up at the hospital to try yeah. to help him start that process and be with you so that you guys could go up together because they had changed that policy before. It was like they would let you both go up together and one person would, he would wait in the waiting area and then you would be in triage. And so I was like, let's try that. Let's try to yeah. see if we can get him to go in and up and get all of that started until, but it was, it just didn't work out that way. It didn't work out that way. Yeah. <laughs> We tried. We, we tried. tried. We it, tried. But no, it did not. And so I went up kind of by myself. I'm still having, starting to get a lot of pain. They're asking me questions like, where's your insurance card? Your driver's license? Can you fill this out? And I'm just like, oh my gosh. In a normal situation, Isaiah would have been there and he would have yes. been able to do those things. And so they were, you know, really nice, really understanding, you know, trying to make the situation. Um, so I finally ended up in being admitted was in in triage. They had me, I think I was six centimeters dilated already mm-hmm. by that time. Um, I started getting questions around pain management. Did I want an epidural? I still wasn't sure yet. So I was like, okay, I want to hold a hood just to keep the um, labor progressing. And then also highlight 
my OB was on call. So, so happy she came in and man, thankful day that you are here so that I, at least that was one comforting kind of support the person I had seen, you know, every, um, every month or so during the pregnancy. So that was, was great. Um, I did, you know, in full transparency, I was like, I need a black woman OB. And so that was something my husband and I had like really looked for. And so I was really, really glad that she was able to actually, actually deliver. Um, and so I was admitted, taken to a labor and delivery room, um, labored there for a while, still wasn't sure about pain, um, pain management. And I had just been kind of breathing through it, breathing through it. Isaiah was able to come up, was still breathing through it. And then was trying to make the decision. I ultimately decided to, I think I was about almost eight centimeters dilated yes. at that time. Yes. Maybe eight and a half. We were, yeah. Um, we were eight and a half two, centimeters dilated. Yeah. And, and so decided, okay. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to have energy to put like in my head. I was like, that time so maybe I'm, I'm glad I got this far I'm glad labor progressed and I didn't like stop that and so I did get an epidural um it was a good epidural it was not painful at all actually like they did a really good job uh and, and it's interesting because after I got it I realized both why people get it and why people don't mm-hmm. I kind of realized both sides because I went from feeling everything feeling so much and really having to like breathe and feel and, and just like this massive amount of pressure and pain to I felt amazing afterwards. Like both, I was just like, Oh, I, I can talk now. Isaiah and I were able to, we were able to pick Like we were able to really have like that where we could just like the last like couple hours before the baby was born. So it was, it was an interesting feeling where I was like, Oh, I understand why people get this and why people don't. Um, I also made sure to not add more medicine. I I wanted to feeling more pressure, which I did and take away everything, which I didn't want it. Getting an epidural was an interesting experience, but I'm thankful that it did what it needed to do and that it wasn't painful. Um, and that they were just like really, really good at what they did. Like they, just were great. I think that Isaiah texted me. I, I recall he he's like that epidural is a game changer. Like it changed everything. I remember it was something to that effect that he wrote and said. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's probably correct. It was probably yes. It definitely was. And I was able to. I think I napped for like thirty minutes. So it was just a good before pushing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then. When it came time, did you, do you remember, were you wearing a mask? Were they masked? Yeah. So again, so when I was admitted, as well as when Isaiah was admitted, that's when they did the COVID tests, right? Mm-hmm. So they, everyone who's coming in um, had a COVID test. If the results came back and you were negative, you could not have masked. One who was interacting with you had full PPE on. Okay. So that was the case whole time because we didn't get our COVID test results back until after I had delivered. So we were all in like mass and the rest of the the hospital staff was in full PPE. And so you came time to push and you felt energized after your epidural and describe that pushing. Yes. Yes. So I point where when I got half centimeters and then um, 
I started progressing and they were like, really, this is going to be in the next hour. So the OB was coming in and checking. And then, yeah, we started preparing to push. They gave me kind of the instructions. I think you also were like helpful in, in saying, okay, this is, this is how you should approach this. Um, here's what you're going to be doing. Here's where you're going to feel. Uh, and so, yeah, we prepared. I pushed two to three times like of the sequences. It really very, very quick. Um, I think even before I started pushing could feel and see like the baby's head. So it was, it was a, it was, it was very fast. Um, yeah, I think two, two to three times max. And then she was born. Yeah. And then she was born. So it was, yeah, she was born. Um, we did, I think we did realize there was a little bit of, what is it? Meconium. 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 And yep. And so we were like, okay, can I have the baby do the need to baby away in suction beforehand? But she did come out and cry a little bit. So I was whole her first and then they were able to do the suctioning and they had a pediatrician come in and check on her. But, um, born, it was very crazy. I, I, um, and I think outside of, you know, we didn't know the gender, mm-hmm. so we did not know what her sex was going to be, uh, beforehand. We wanted it to be a surprise. So we found out we were having a girl. A lot of people thought, that she was going to be a boy, um, but we had a girl. And um, what was also interesting is that, like, the second question after, you know, making sure she was okay was, did I tear? Like, literally, that was, that was the next thing. Uh-huh. Did I tear? How badly? Like, what? That was, that was the main thing I asked afterwards. That was, like, the thing that, like, scared me so much. Um, yeah, especially because I couldn't feel at least that level of, of, of pain. I had no idea. So I had to ask. So that was probably like the second or third thing that I asked. And so then after she's born, you go to mm-hmm. your postpartum room. Isaiah was not able to stay. Yeah, yeah. Were you in a shared yeah. room or a private room? So I was in a private room. Um, one of the things that came out of them having less capacity um during or them they weren't at capacity because so many people had left new york or changed their their birth plans that there were even if you didn't request a private room pretty much everyone was in a private room and uh, yeah isaiah and i were able to stay in the labor industry room probably for about i would say like an hour maybe an hour and a half mm-hmm. and, and then uh to as I was transferred to postpartum. So that was definitely, I think because she came a little bit early, it was, you know, he was able to go home and get some other stuff together. Mm-hmm. Cousins helped get some other stuff together, helped build a few things that weren't built yet. Um, starting to feel stuff happened. Also starting to try and like breastfeed. That happened a little bit in the labor and delivery room. Mm-hmm. Um you realize like, oh my gosh, yeah, we were, I mean, we, I was there for 24 hours, uh, a yes. little more than 24 hours, but yes. yeah, it was so, a little, so you, you went home within 24 hours. Um, while you yeah. were there, were you able to see a lactation counselor? Yes. So when I was there, I mean, it was just because of COVID, but like mm-hmm. people were super attentive. The nurses were amazing. I did, was able to see lactation so that was something that was pretty difficult for me mm-hmm. was like breastfeeding. Um, so my, you know, newborns are all s- somewhat sleep, very sleepy. Mm-hmm. 
latch asleep. Kind of like didn't know what to expect. I wasn't sure. Like we would try that for like an hour, but hadn't really gotten much of, of anything. And so yeah. I wasn't totally sure what, you know, if it was an issue or not. And I think as they would ask me, okay, how long has she been you know, feeding and this and that? And I would be like, oh, it'd be 45 minutes. But they wouldn't really know that that was like 45 minutes of like trying. Trying. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was able to see a lactation specialist. They brought in a few different folks. Then I think once they realized I was having more issues as they kind of understood like, oh, wait, this isn't really working. They brought in kind of one of the head lactation specialists. So they were really, really great, super hands-on. Um, but I think I didn't realize that it wasn't going well as well as it should have until later. And it was like time to go home. And that's when it just like fell apart a little bit as you, yeah. as you remember. Yes. I just want to, I just want to backtrack and say one thing I'll, I'll never yeah. forget. Um, in the, right after you had given birth, they had passed, they had changed the rule in the hospital oh, saying oh, that partners that? could come. Yeah. And I got the sweetest yes. text from Isaiah saying, I'm going back to the hospital. I'm going to try to go and spend the night with my family. I know. Yeah. I forgot about Yeah. So they had just they basically just kind of clarified the executive order saying, yes. Like, no, when we say the partner should be present, we mean from labor and delivery all the way to postpartum. And so that had just changed, but it still hadn't been like final lot. Like there was a lot of things that were in flux. Mm-hmm. hospitals they didn't know but Isaiah was just like no I'm going to get there and he called and he showed up and they were like no we can't like <laughs> yeah because uh, I don't think this is gonna work this way just being here I was like I don't think he's gonna be able to just like come in here um but he tried and I felt yeah, he tried. I definitely felt bad. yeah 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 yeah, like he tried. He's like, I'm going to try. And and I was yeah. like, go for it. Why not? Like, what's what's the worst they can say is yeah. no. And then, you know, and he was back a few hours later to pick you guys up. So, yes. That, yes. And that was also the sweetest text that he texted me when he was going to pick you, you up. He mm. was like, I'm going to pick up my family. And I was like, that's oh. just so sweet. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. 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 And so you get home. Everyone is resting and the postpartum period now begins. Oh gosh. Yeah. To like leave was an issue. I still, I hadn't showered. Like I hadn't, I didn't, I I just like, I hadn't even done any of these like basic. I was like, okay, I need to pack this bag up. I need to like put some clothes on her. You know, they helped me definitely get downstairs and we're super nice about, um, and, you know, we, we, you know, meet Isaiah downstairs, we get packed up, we put her in her car seat, you know, stroller situation for the first time. Um, and I just remember car and being in pain mm-hmm. sitting on my stitches. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm really exhausted, really in pain, about to get home, kind of don't know what I'm doing. Um, so we, we get home and... I think we'd started texting a bit. I've been texting you about, you know, you've been sending me breastfeeding tips and kind of like 
these are the main things to look at. Here's these different YouTube videos. Here's like things you should be considering. And I got home and it was like time for her to eat again. And I think I had even at the hospital started hand expressing, expressing a little because she wasn't latching. And we had like a, um, a little dropper to kind of feed her, but it just was like not, not working. She hadn't eaten in like two or three hours. I think that's when I like called you in a panic because uh, I was just my baby's about to starve and I don't know what to do and Mila as like a backup we just didn't yeah. hadn't thought about it but somehow some marketing sent us some Similac and we just like had it in in the nursery closet so we came up with sort of a plan because I was worried about okay she's not latching my milk's not going to come in and she needs to eat. Like, there's just a lot of things. And I definitely freaked out. My pump, I hadn't set my pump up, right? Because sometimes you're not necessarily pumping that early. Yes. If mm-hmm. things were done, the bottles weren't sterilized. Like, there was no, like, I didn't think I would be bottle feeding her at all. I had to make sure I continued pumping so that my milk would come in. Um, but it was a very stressful time. If I hadn't had doula support, if I hadn't had your support, um, you know, we initially, I think that we came up with a kind of a plan to just make sure she is getting the nutrients she needed to like get more energy to hopefully then be able to latch. And then we, um, zoomed, I think the next day still having a little bit of a meltdown, still have a little bit of, um, you know, my milk did start coming in. And then, you know, I think Isaiah sent a bunch and you graciously, which I know is like a risk, you know, came over, <laughs> passed up, you know, gloved up and came over and were able to just give me the like hands-on support that I needed to figure out what was going on because I was, I was about to lose it. Um, and you did it. Yes. You did yeah. it. You work, you work through it yes. and you did it. <laughs> yeah. And it was, so what would you, what would you tell yes. people about giving birth during COVID? Like, what would you want people to know? I think the biggest thing, one, this is my only experience, COVID. So one, the only experience of having a first child, right? It's like my only experience of having a child in general. It's, it's, I don't even know what it's like not during this time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's like, it's what sometimes hard to like compare. But I would say that this is something that is already difficult, Right. And I think with COVID, it just has added to that. Like it can already be like an isolating time mm-hmm. with COVID. It can be more isolating. It could already be emotionally exhausting and fatigue as just a parent, a lot of anxiety. And now there's this extra like layer of it. And then I think in terms of support, it's a time where you really need support with things and not necessarily like, you know, I find with friends and family, it's not, hands-on support with the baby it's support for other things like laundry or food right or you know coming over and keep people company you can't even really have that in the same I think it just exacerbated a lot it really it really did and I think I mean the one only so it's only now we sometimes have people around that I have to like talk about any level of boundary. So I did, that was something that I didn't have to consider or think about mm-hmm. early on because no one could could be around yeah. and wanted our family members to be there at the beginning. 
right? Mm-hmm. You the baby as she was like born, right? As she's like a day old. Yeah. Um, so that didn't, that didn't happen. And like a lot of the conversations we have now around like what that looks like um, because of, of COVID. So I didn't have to deal with that. It also was sad because you want people around. Yeah. We were able to just like kind of do a lot of bonding. That was perfect. Thank you so much for sharing that. It was really incredible. I was so happy to have you on and just seeing you in real life. I know. I know. know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I would definitely let you know when this episode airs. Okay. And then, you know, hopefully we can catch up again shortly. Evie on the screen in Yes, I would love to see her. The the last picture you sent me, she was so long. Yeah. Yeah, I I was like, she's getting really, really big. Yeah. She's in the 50th percentile now for a week. She used to be in the like 25th. Wow. But now she's in the 50th. So I'm just like, oh, I guess I'm feeding you. I guess you are getting your. You're getting all the time. Of course, all that growing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. (laughs) Well, tell Isaiah I said hello. Hello, Yeah, yeah. And and we'll catch up again shortly. Miss you guys much. You too. All right. Thank you so much. No, thank you. Okay, talk to you later. Bye. Gracias. Thanks for listening to the Clear Birth Podcast. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. You can find me on Instagram at the Clear Birth Podcast. If you want to send me an email, you can reach me at theclearbirthpodcast at gmail.com. Adios. Hasta luego. Goodbye. Until next time.